Okay, good morning, Life Church Selwyn. Good morning. It is so good to see you here today. Um, and I'm really excited because this is my first time of being out here with you guys. And I know that it's so cool looking around and going, there are so many faces that I have never met before, so many faces that I don't recognize, and that excites me. So if you're sitting here going, who is this young guy with his ankles showing down at the front? <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jono, and I am an assistant pastor here at Life Church. I've been part of this family, this church family, for about seven years now. And my wife and I have had the privilege of being on staff for the last three or so now. And you might go, okay, well, what does being an assistant pastor mean? What does that title represent? And it's a bit of a cheap title because it really means that anything that requires assisting means they can get me to do that. Um, <laughs> assistant pastor? No, that's not true. So I have two key areas that I oversee, sort of t- two key portfolios. And the first one is I'm the facilities manager for our Levita Center. Our Levita Center is the conference center that was built by this church, by Life Church, about 11 years or so now, 11 years ago now. It's where this church was planted from. It's where the other church, the other campus is meeting there at Levita. And the whole ethos behind the building was to build a facility that wasn't just a church, but a multi-purpose, multifunctional, multicultural facility that could be a blessing to the wider Christchurch region, the wider Christchurch people, that it wouldn't just be a building for a church, but it'd be able to bless Christchurch. So it's a horrible facility. We have all sorts of clients come in and out and use the building. And so it's my job really to keep the business side of that running, keep it functioning, and really to ensure that it continues to be a blessing to Christchurch and not just our church family. But then secondly... I am also, along with my wife, the youth pastor at Life Church, looking after your teenagers, looking, oh, there we go, that was premature, but that's all right. So I'll come to that in a second. So we look after our high school students, ages 13 to 18 teenagers, or high schools year 9 to 13. So that's a role who shared with my wife, Anna, who's not with us this morning. She's back at our Levita campus. But that is my beautiful wife, Anna. And, um, and so she looks after all of our, as, long as, as well as being youth pastor with me, she looks after all of our online communications. So things like social media, emails, the app. Whenever something gets posted on Facebook or Instagram or the app gets updated, that's usually her running those things. And then that gorgeous thing in there uh, is me. And then... Um, no, that's our wee boy, Levi, who's just over six months old now, and he's the best thing ever. Unfortunately, he's been a bit sick this week, so I think I counted up. I'm running on about a total of 12 hours sleep this week, um, and so but that's been all right. He's, the, he's just amazing. Um, he's been the best thing to our, happened to our family for sure. There's nothing like being a parent. So that's us. That's me. It's great to meet you. And so I'd love to, I'm actually here for the next two weeks. I'm speaking this morning and then I'm emceeing with you next week. So if I, please make sure you come and introduce yourself. I'd love to connect with you, love to meet you. Got two weeks to make sure I get around everyone or as many people as I can. Does that sound good? All right, we get into the, get into the word this morning. If you've got a Bible or a smartphone or something like that, turn to Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. I want to start by sharing a little context about where this is coming from. About two or so months ago, I read this passage as part of my quiet time, just as I was reading through the Bible. And I got to this chapter, and as I read through it, there were some things that sort of spoke to me, jumped out at me, so I noted them down. A few weeks after that, we were at a prayer meeting um, before we had launched this campus. We were at a prayer meeting, and the purpose of this prayer meeting was to pray out the team that was coming to plant this campus. 
So we gathered all of you guys who had came from Levita and we gathered you in the middle and we were praying around you. The staff were gathered around. We were just praying for you, sharing encouraging thoughts. And as this was happening, this scripture popped back into my mind. I was reminded of what I read. And so in the midst of this prayer meeting, I whipped it out and had to scroll through my phone and read through this chapter again. And just reading through it really got a sense that what I had gleaned from it was for you guys. And it was for you. So I read it out and, and prayed it over the team. And so then when I learned that I was coming out to speak, I knew I was like, right, I want to expand on this thought a little bit this morning. So in Exodus 36, this is the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. They've escaped slavery from Egypt and they've gone to Mount Sinai. God has given them the Ten Commandments and he's given Moses the law saying, this is how I want my nation to operate. This is how I want my people to be defined. And this chapter and the subsequent chapters following it through to the end of the book of Exodus, he is giving them instructions to build the tabernacle. Giving them instructions to build the tabernacle, which was to be the very place where the presence of God dwelt tangibly on this earth. It was to represent his presence on earth and the holy of holies. So he is giving them a blueprint for the structure, what it needs to be made of, the dimensions, the orientation, the shape, and all the things, down to the finest details, so meticulously crafted, what the priests need to wear, the various furnishings and furniture that they put in and around it. And it was down to the finest detail because what God was wanting them to understand that this structure was to represent his kingdom on earth, represent his presence with his people, that the Israelites were to be his nation, his people, and his people were to be defined by the fact that the presence of God was with them that the presence of God went with them, that he led them and he guided them. So let's read the first few verses of this chapter, starting at verse 1. The Lord has gifted Bezalel and Aholiab, we're just going to call them B and O, and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned B and O and all others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Jumping down to verse 7, their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Skipping ahead a few chapters now to the end of the book of Exodus in chapter 40. So at last Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter it because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled it. Now, wherever the Lord lifted, whenever the Lord lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. There's a lot in this chapter. So what I'd like, or passages, so I'd like to work back through and just highlight a few things that I felt God, you know, speak to me about and the things that really came out to me. So the first thing is right there in verse one, the Lord has gifted Bezalel and Aholiab and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. The Lord has gifted skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Do you know there are things in your life that God has gifted you to do? 
You know, things in your life that God has given and gifted you to do, gifts and talents, abilities that you have that are gifts. There are things in your life that will seem to come more naturally to you than they do to others. Things that you just seem to have a knack for doing that others might struggle a little bit at. Things that you're gifted at. You know, for some of you, it might be building, working with your hands, constructing something. I know that's not a gift that I have, but some people are great with crafts and they can build things and work with their hands. For others, it might be things like public speaking. You know, some people love it, and yet some people avoid it like the plague. And it's one of those things that some people are gifted at doing it. Some people um, are just not. For others, it might be accounting, being good with numbers or detail or really good at writing, things like that. You might have an artistic talent or an eye for creativity. I know for me, right, like writing and writing essays and spelling is not my forte. I am not good at grammar. I don't know how the English language functions. I don't know how to spell things. But my wife, however, is really gifted at those things. It's a gift for her. I mean, like the only the only A grade I ever got in university was when I did a group project with her, and um, and she did all the writing, and that was the only A grade I got at uni because it's her gift. And so, whether you realize it or not, God has given you these gifts. He's given you these tools, these gifts and abilities for you to use in your life. They're your toolkit. The things for you to wield in order to to have a job, to make money, to make a living, to provide for your family, all those things. God gives you the ability to do those things. But more importantly, he gives you these gifts and talents for you to build his kingdom. For you to build his kingdom. He's given you unique qualities and characteristics, character traits, the way you are, your personality. Only you can play the part that God wants you to play. Because he's uniquely gifted you because you have a unique journey. You have a unique path, a unique lane to run, and God has a path set before you that he wants you to live, and so therefore he gives you the right tools and abilities to be able to to achieve that task and the race that he has ahead for you. And that's why, I think, just to go on a bit of a side note as well, that's why comparison can get so dangerous. Comparison can get so dangerous because we can start looking at other people's toolkit looking at their other gifts and abilities. Man, I wish I had those gifts, or I wish I had those skills or abilities. But you can't compare that because you don't know the race that they have to run. You don't know the lane that they have to operate in. Yet God has given you gifts and abilities to be able to operate in the lane that you have to run in. Or you might look at someone else's lane and see how far they might be further on ahead than you. Go, man, I wish I was in their lane, way ahead at where, where they are in that part but you don't see all of the hurdles they've had to go through. You don't see all the pain they've had to journey through, all the things that God has required them to do. And comparison can so rob us of our joy in that because we stray outside our lane. So stay in your lane because God has gifted you to work in it. That's where you'll find that grace comes on your life and you go, I'm running in my lane doing what God has called me to do. I'm getting out of track, sorry. So God gives us these gifts, which is why we're all unique. And this was the case for these skilled craftsmen that Exodus is talking about. God has given them, he gave them certain gifts and abilities for that time. They weren't superhuman abilities. You know, they, they, were, they were craftsmen, they were builders, they were carpenters, they were metal workers. They could sew and work with fabrics. They were everyday abilities. But God was able to take them and use them to build his tabernacle where his presence would dwell, use them to build his kingdom. He designated certain people to certain works, the lane that they had to run in, and he placed them there with a purpose because they had the right gifts and talents for those things. And I think so often we can get trapped into thinking that in order to be used by God, we have to have some extraordinary ability. 
We've got to have some extraordinary character trait or, or thing, about the, thing about us that makes us special. But the reality is that God just uses ordinary people with ordinary abilities to build his kingdom, to build his tabernacle. We don't have to have those things that set us apart. He will take us, use our ordinary things to do something extraordinary like build his kingdom. So as I was reading through this, I just felt for the team planning cell and for those of you who have joined to encourage you here, you're a skilled craftsman. You're a skilled craftsman. There are things that God has given you. You have everything in your life right now to see the kingdom of God expand in your life. You have everything in your life right now to run in your lane to make a difference for the kingdom. He has gifted you and he has equipped you and he has placed you here for a reason. He's placed you here for a reason, just like he chose those certain people. I want this person to work on that area. I want this person to work in this area. That's the same with you here. Wherever you're at this morning, God has something he wants you to work on, an area for you. And then read down to jump, jump down to verse 7. It says, their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. You have more than enough to do what God has called you to do. You as a campus, you as a church, you have more than enough to do what God is calling you to do. You have a part to play, a part of the tabernacle that only you can build. Only you can build. He wants to see the kingdom move and expand through your life. And so he's made you a skilled craftsman in a particular area so you can fulfill that plan on your life. As there's a sense for me, for this campus, God has equipped you with everything you need to see his kingdom expand in the Selwyn region, to see his kingdom expand and move in the people that live here. So I want to ask you, what is your part to play? What is your gift? What is your toolkit? What has God placed in your hand, the sense, I am gifted in this area. Now, I know that we can learn and we can improve in other areas. We can learn skills and we can learn other talents. And that's not so much what I'm talking about. There will be things in your life that you know that when you do them, you're like, man, I was just made to do this. This thing comes naturally to me. There is an ease in this. You can learn other things, but there will be something where you go, I just know that this is what I need to do. This is my part where I can really see God move. So what is your gift? Where are your talents? What is the area that God has set before you? Because this leads on to the second thing which jumped out to me in verse 2. Moses summoned them and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. They were eager to get to work. They couldn't wait. For them, expanding God's kingdom wasn't a drag. It wasn't something they dreaded doing. It wasn't something they did reluctantly. They were eager to get to work. They had a faith about them. They were expectant. They were excited for God to move and for God to do something. They were eager to get to work. They were expectant for what his presence was going to do when it did come, that when I finish this, his presence is going to come. Lives are going to be changed. And I don't think there is many things that please God more than when his people are eager to get to work. When we're eager to get to work, when we're excited for his presence to come, for his presence to move, when we're on the edge of our seats, that readiness in our heart going, come on, God, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Where are we going next? What is my part to play? What would you have me do? Who would you have me talk to? Are you eager to get to work? Are you excited for him to move? Is coming to church something you look forward to? Or is it the routine that you're in coming every week? Is serving on a team something you're excited for? Are you eager to get to work? Do you look forward to when you get to be on team or when you get to have a week off? Are you excited, are you eager to get to work in your workplace or in your school or wherever that might be? Because I'll be honest, I have to check myself in this area all the time. Am I eager to get to work or is this something I'm paid to do? 
Am I eager to get to work, or is this something that I'm paid to do? Because I'm blessed to be in a full-time capacity working as a pastor. That's a huge blessing on my life. But, you know, you can't pay someone to be eager to work. You can't pay someone to be expectant. You can't pay someone to be faith-filled. So I have to ask myself, is there still that readiness in my heart? Am I still on the edge of my seat going, God, what would you have me do next? What are you going to do now? Where would you have me go? Who would you have me talk to? Who am I interacting with? Who am I believing for? Who am I praying for? Am I eager to get to work? Because I might be paid to do the tasks involved, but I still have to have that readiness in my heart that says, God, I'm ready and I'm willing to do what you would have me do. I'm ready to use my gifts and my talents to see your kingdom expand. Those are the people that God will want to use. Those are the people that God will put his hand on and go, right, you're my guy. You're my woman. You're the person. You're my child. That's who I'm using when we're eager to get to work. But then what's the result? What happens when people who are eager to get to work come together? When they're eager to get to work, they come together. When they say, yeah, I've got gifts and abilities. I've got a lane I need to run in. What happens? Well, let's read chapter 40. So at last Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. God's presence comes. God's presence comes. His Holy Spirit fills the tabernacle. His presence moves with them. It led them, and it guided them. It led them through the wilderness. It provided them water in the desert. Provided them bread when they had none. It protected them. It went before them and defeated their enemies. It went before them and made a way for them and led them and guided them. We need God's presence. We need his Holy Spirit. Notice what it says. It says it continued with them day and night. It was daily. We need to have God's spirit with us daily. We need to cultivate that relationship with us, with him daily. If we don't have God's presence moving, we can't do anything. It needs to be that daily routine that we're in day and night, spending that time in his presence. Because as gifted as we may be, as gifted as we may be, we could have all the eagerness in our heart and we could have the best gifts and abilities. But if we don't have God's presence with us, then what can we really do? We might be able to do something. But it would never last beyond us. It would never make the difference that it could make. Never have the impact that it really could have. But when you have God's presence moving with you, then anything can happen. Moses even said later on, he says, Lord, if you don't go before us, don't send us from here. He had that sense, I need God's presence with me. I can be eager, I can be gifted, but until I have the presence of God, then what can I really do? What can I really achieve? It'll never reach its full potential until it has the blessing of God on it. And our lives, our, that lane I was talking about, that lane that we have to run will never be as effective. We'll never be able to move quickly enough through it until we have God's presence moving with us in our lives daily. And one of the other things that struck me again about this passage 
and that I hadn't noticed until I read it again preparing for this. It says, when the presence of God came and described it as a cloud, a cloud came down and it hovered over the tabernacle and a cloud came, during the day it was a cloud and then at nighttime there was fire in it so that people could see it. So that the family of Israel could see it. And I'd say if any other neighboring nations were having to walk past or people walking past, they'd see this big cloud, they would see it. And now we don't have it as dramatic as in the Old Testament. We don't have a tabernacle where there's clouds and fire and all that going on. But instead we have the presence of God moving with us. We have him living inside us. And there was a principle that came out to me that when the pres- where the presence of God is, people should be able to see it. Where the presence of God is, people should be able to see it. People should be able to look at my life and see something different on me. People should be able to look at your life in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, and see something different on you. Have a look at you and go, hey, what? there's something different going on there. They might not be able to explain it, but we know it's the presence of God. And I believe that as the Selwyn region looks at this church, looks at this campus, looks at the people who attend here, wherever you are, and go, man, there is something different on you. There is something different going on there. And they might not be able to explain it. They might not be able to put their finger on it. But we know it's the presence of God moving on this people, moving when we gather together, moving when you're in your workplace or wherever God has put you, that there'll be something different on your life. People will look at you and go, man, there is, what is, what is it about you? Start asking questions. Start going, why are you the way you are? Why do you act the way you act? Why do you speak the way you speak? People should be able to see the presence of God moving in our lives. And so as the Selwyn region looks and starts to see something happen here, we'll know it's the presence of God they can see. We'll know it's his kingdom expanding that they're sensing. The presence of God moving when we gather together, when we come together and we worship, when we listen to the word, when we're at home, wherever we are, that we'd see his presence, that lives would be impacted, lives would be changed. I've sped through this team if you guys want to jump up now. That people be able to see something happening, see something different going on. That people would start to be able to see the presence of God providing for you in your life. You know, when, you, when you're going through storms, as Julie was talking about before, when we're going through trials and going through storms, yet people see the way you carry yourself through that. You, you still have a joy about you. You still have a faith about you. That yes, you're going through hard times, but you have a, a, an attitude of hope. People will see that. I remember when I was, before I was on team here, I was working um, at Hallenstein's as a retail worker. And one of the things I noticed really quickly is that I, st- I spoke differently to the people I worked with. It was just subtly, but I wasn't as negative. I wasn't as quick to pull people down. And that's not to, to build me up. That was just something that I noticed that when, pe- when, when difficult customers would come in or um, the manager would do something that people didn't like, people would be very quick to be negative, to talk down. And that just wasn't part of my life at the time. So I wasn't like that. And quickly people started to ask me, why are you so, why are you so joyful? Why are you so not negative? They couldn't explain what it was. They just knew that there was something different on my life. And that was able to, I was able to share with them, say, hey, look, it's because I believe this. Because this is what God has done for me. I just don't operate that way. I prefer to build people up rather than tear people down. People started to see the presence of God moving. And so Life Church Selwyn, what is your gift? 
If you're sitting here this morning, you have a gift, you have a toolkit. God has equipped you with something. What is it? And you might be even sitting here going, well, I don't have anything. That's not true. We've all got something. If you're great with people, if you're great with kids, that's a gift. If you can build and construct things with your hand, that is a gift. If you're great at cleaning, that is a gift. If you can speak and stand in the front, that is a gift. If you can sing and play on team, that is a gift. And they're all just little things, just ordinary things. But when we bring those ordinary things together, when we say we're gonna, we have an eagerness in our heart, a readiness in our spirit that says, God, I want to use my gift, I want to play my part, then something extraordinary happens. When we gather together, when the band comes together, when someone shares, when people come in and worship, something extraordinary happens. The presence of God comes. People can feel it. People can see something different. That's what it's all about. So church, what is your gift? What has God placed before you? What is the part of the tabernacle that he wants you to build? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's here when we gather on a Sunday. What is it that you have? Because it takes every one of us to see this region transformed. But as verse 7 says, you have more than enough to complete the whole project. God has a plan for this region. God has a plan for the people here. He wants people to know how much he loves them, know how much he mean, he, you know, how much he thinks about them and cares for them, that they don't have to live the way they're living. They don't have to live in darkness. They don't have to live in despair and hopelessness. There's a joy they can carry. There's an abundant life they can have. That is what God is wanting for this region. And there is more than enough to see that happen in this room. You have more than enough to complete the whole project. So we're about to sing a song now, I think it's called None, and it speaks about there is none like Him. There is none like Him. And so I'd encourage you as we sing this song, can you remind yourself there is nothing like His presence? There is nothing like His presence. When we come together, when we have His presence burning in our heart, that is what's going to equip us to go out and make a difference. So can we stand, and I'd love to pray for you before we go into this next song. Father, I thank you that you have gifted every person in this room, that every person in this room is a skilled craftsman in a particular area, that you've given them gifts and talents, you've given them abilities, personality, character traits, you've made them unique and you've given them a unique plan and a purpose to live. And so Father, I ask that we would be eager to get to work that you would stir our hearts again with a readiness that says, God, I'm ready to do what you would have me do. I would be ready to play my part, be ready and expectant for what you're gonna be doing, ready for your presence to move. I'd be expectant and excited for your Holy Spirit to come, that gathering together wouldn't be something that is a drag or something that I'm reluctant to do, but I would be eager to see your presence move in this region. Would you stir our hearts again this morning, God, that there is none like you, That as we go about this region, as we go about our workplaces, the people that you have around us, that we would be able to remind them there is nothing like knowing you. There is nothing like having your presence with us. There is nothing like being having your Holy Spirit with us. Nothing like being saved in your name, Jesus. There is none like you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.